0: It's a destination. We are finally here. Let's go. What is good, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Destination Dynasty. I am your gracious host, Scott Connor. You can find me on X at Charles Chill FFB. Of course, everything over at Destination Debbie at destinationdevi.com, Patreon.com backslash all gas. Join the Discord. A special announcement. There will not be a destination chill this week as Ray is on a brief vacation. But there will be a special AMA in the Discord, 9 p.m. Eastern on Wednesday night, November 29th. So if you're not in the Discord, get in there. Jordan Backus and Gump from the Destination Devi radio feed, host of the College Football Pod. I will be hosting an AMA with Jordan and with Gump. We will be talking about the 2024 class, taking questions. So no AMA from Ray, but we will be in the Discord doing that 9 p.m. Eastern time on Wednesday, live on the DD stages. So jump in there. If you're not already in there, if you are in the Heisman tier or in the Destination 5 tier, you will get access to all of the AMAs and all of the other Discord content via a private podcast feed. But if you're not just in the Discord, jump in there for that AMA. This week, And of course, all the other content on the Destination Debbie radio feed, make sure you are subscribed to both the DD podcast feed and the wake up with Ray G podcast feed along with the YouTube channel. I just dropped my first dynasty portfolio weekly series. That will be a YouTube only series that comes out at the end of each week. So if you are a portfolio dynasty player and you like this show, make sure you tune into that. It'll be a quick show. 10 to 20 minutes every single week talking about one of the portfolio strategies that I employ on a yearly basis or weekly basis or whatever it might be. And a lot of times there will be some follow up on those shows to stuff that was discussed on Destination Dynasty. So if you like this pod, check out that show, which will drop weekly, even into the off season. I'll be talking portfolio strategy every single week. And even if you're not a portfolio player, as I explained in the first show, you will still be able to get something from it, even if you do not have a ton of Dynasty teams. So check all that out. Again, destinationdevy.com. Let's get into it. So we're going to talk roster construction. Last week, I started the show or started the series by talking about tight end roster construction. So if you haven't checked that out, go back and listen to that. It will be the first of or was the first of a four-part series talking about each position, and then I'll probably do a fifth episode kind of wrapping everything up. But for part two tonight, we are going to talk running backs. And this is one where I wasn't sure where to put the running back position. Do I put it first? Do I put it last? It feels like it is the most quote unquote hackable position, or at least it was when I first started this series back in 2022. But now that we're at a totally different spot at the running back position. This strategy has gained a lot more steam over the last year to where the running back market, and many of you may have noticed, has pretty much crashed in Dynasty at this point. And then especially if we're going to employ the roster construction series around a format that I'm going to talk about, the same one that we talked about last week, but any format where there's deeper rosters and there's more starters, understanding that the impact of running back is even less. But then you say, okay, the only impact I may want to really, really embrace is the market, and the market at running back is also dead. So when you combine the fact that you're spreading out the number of starters, because for this roster construction series, we are talking 12-team start 11 with 30-man rosters, and we're talking sleeper standard format. So it's 4-1 for quarterback scoring and 1.75 tight end premium. I used that last week for the tight ends, and we'll stick with that for the rest of the series, talking about a format where tight ends don't matter a whole lot, but the league will perceive that they matter enough for there to be a viable market. And I think that's important to acknowledge that if you're in one of those leagues where tight ends don't matter and there is not a viable tight end market like at all, Listen to the series in part one and then also tune in to Dynasty Portfolio Weekly where I literally address that same topic as to how to fix your construction if you're in that same exact spot. But for this week's show, running backs, and we started with 30-man rosters and last week the takeaway was I'm using two of those roster spots on tight ends. That's it. Now go back and listen to part one if you want to know how to build your tight end room with those two spots. But what I don't want to do is waste more than two spots. So we're starting here with 28 roster spots remaining, because I'm going to have two tight ends if we're talking optimal roster construction. So now we get to running backs. And we have to start by acknowledging how did the any running back on a 53 strategy work this past year? And I would argue that it was a very viable strategy that if you picked up a ton of running backs over the past summer and you literally loaded up on any running back on a 53, if you look back at some of the episodes I did last year, both on here and on America's Game, we talked about literally any running back that could make a 53-man roster was worth rostering in the offseason. And then slowly, as injuries happen through training camp and through the preseason... And then as players get cut and they don't sign or they get cut and they sign to a practice squad or you see how a depth chart plays out, you're going to trim that number down. I remember I was up to probably 125 or so running backs total that I was rostering in the off season. And then by time we get to the season and I'll even look what it looks like right now. So right now, if I look at the total number of running backs that I'm carrying across all my teams, we're at 109. So we're cut back 16, but there was a point where that was even less, you know, that is going to cut down to probably the lowest amount. Once you get like right at the beginning of the season and when there's no injuries at the beginning of the year, and you think, you know, exactly how things are going to play out. You trim that number back because a lot of running backs got cut. They didn't sign didn't even sign on a practice squad. So I'm going to cut those guys because I want to have roster spots that are active during the season because things start to move quicker. I don't want to be stuck holding players that I'm literally waiting for them to sign. I mean, think about you held Kareem Hunt. You held Leonard Fournette. You held those guys. Now they did pay off because they've at least signed and you can justify the roster spot. Heck, Kareem Hunt paid off to the point where you've probably been able to use them, But you don't want to go into the year and go, you know what? I'm going to hold a dozen running backs across my portfolio that look like that. You have to be really, really choosy with the number of running backs you're willing to tolerate not even being on a roster. So this number last year ballooned way up toward literally any running back that could be on a roster that could be seen as one of the top three or four running backs on a team. I was carrying that was the any running back on a 53 in the off season. It's really any running back on a 90 man roster, but until the NFL cutdowns happen, you're casting a pretty wide net and you're saying, well, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know who's going to get injured. I don't know who's going to randomly fall into opportunity. So let me roster everybody that I've seen ever play in the NFL before. Let me roster every rookie, every UDFA running back that got signed to somebody's roster for the preseason, like, let me roster all of them. And then I'll slowly trim down. There's ones where you're looking at them and you're saying, okay, a guy like Damian Williams, he has a very short leash. Meaning as soon as he signs, I'm going to evaluate, is it worth holding in that spot? And if he doesn't sign, that's probably not a player where I'm breaking down the walls to hold for multiple weeks. If he's not on a team. So you have to do that assessment when it comes to any running back on a 53. How likely is it that they make a 53? How likely is it that if they're not on a 53 and they're just sitting there, and this is something else to factor in, how many of these can I go and just add for free? Not that I care about roster ship percentage at running back at this level. We're talking like the very bottom end of my roster. But I also have to acknowledge that I may like a running back that's sitting out there on waivers. I may think, you know what, there's a shot that Daryl Williams, who's always been a solid player when he gets opportunity, is somebody that I can just stash. However, I look at 95% of my leagues, he's still a free agent. So I have to wonder, is that worth a roster spot? And we're talking like the very, very thin margins here, but the idea of being able to hit on these types of players, A, it is slightly going to be format dependent. It's going to definitely be market dependent meaning can you flip players if there's ever the perception that they might have some opportunity. But see, do I need to roster some of these guys when I look and I go, at any point, if I have 30 leagues, I could go at them in 10 as soon as news breaks. Now, are you going to get them in every one? No. Are you going to get them in the ones where you may need them the most or you may have leaned into this build the most? Maybe not. But the idea is, do I need to hold a player when they are available in 90% of my other leagues? Like That is justifying the roster spot depending on breaking ties between this guy and that guy, how much they're available in all my other leagues. So something to think about going forward. So how has the approach differed or how will it differ going forward? So that's what I want to hit on. So any running back on a 53, it has worked okay. I definitely think if you look at the war chart and you look at the running back scoring, you are going to see a clear clear dip right after the top five or so running backs exactly what it has looked like historically and if you look at the three-year average war using this format that i talked about last week that's exactly what it looks like from rb6 all the way to rb30 you're looking at somewhere between 0.75 and two war for the season now that's for the season and that is true war we're not talking about adjusted start rate war. And I talked about that a little bit last week, but for running back, that is huge. That is absolutely huge because you don't get the war from running backs unless it is in your lineup. And I've covered this on many shows, but it's the idea of if you were going to lean into a any running back on a 53 strategy. If you were going to lean into a hero RB or a zero RB strategy. The one thing you have to ensure is that you are not already limiting the bang for your buck with running back war by rostering too many of the running backs that are on the higher end of this curve. So literally look at a league that has similar settings, 12 teams start 11, 30-man rosters, 0.75 additional tight end premium and just run the three-year war. Go to destinationdevy.com look at the war tracker, and run the war. Go to the three-year tab, so you have to highlight over and select weeks one through 17, hit generate, and then look at the three-year average. And just look at the line. Look at how flat the line is from, let's just call it RB6 to RB30. Now, you're going to say, you know what, that's really some big differences between RB6 and RB28. And on paper, it is. It's 1.3-ish war, 1.4-ish war, depending on, you know, which specific player you're looking at. But really, the idea is, are you actually capturing the war of all the players in that range? And if you told me, hey, I picked two players in this range, and I'm just going to start them every week, and you end up with the RB10 and the RB... 23 you're probably okay now are you getting difference making production probably not are you getting production from your running backs that are approaching what somebody is getting from the high high end guys you know are you matching something that someone is getting from christian mccaffrey or jameer gibbs probably not not even close but you already acknowledge that you already acknowledge that you're not building around one of these running backs Now, if you have one of those guys, fine, but then the second part of this comes down to the running back market, and we'll talk about that here in just a second, but you don't want to get stuck to where you are rostering too many of these running backs, especially on the lower end of this flat green line. You do not want to be bogged down by rostering a ton of guys like James Cook, Joe Mixon, James Connor. You you don't want to have five of those guys. And the reason being is those guys have market value. Those guys are players you could go out. Now, could you get a first for them? No. But those guys are players that you could go out on the open market. At some point, you probably could have gotten a second. At least you probably could have gotten two seconds. You probably could have included one of them in a deal with a pick and gotten a better player. So there's a market for them. And you already know that if you go into the year and James Conner is your running back, I don't really even care what his range of outcomes are. The reality is I can probably peg him in a certain war range, and I can assure you that war range isn't going to matter all that much if he's in that range. If he's between RB10 and RB25, you can almost just pencil in what he is going to do for your team, and that ignores the fact that he could get injured. That ignores the fact that you may be able to find the same exact relative production for a lot cheaper. So that's why the strategy works. And the biggest mistake that people make is kind of like tight ends. They just roster too many in this range. Now, this is not to say I don't want to roster a lot of running backs. This is saying I don't want to roster a lot of running backs that they have actual value. And when I say actual value, maybe we're talking players that are worth at least a second round pick or more. I don't need to roster a ton of those. Now, if I have an anchor running back at the top, someone like McCaffrey in his prime, you can almost argue that he isn't really ever worth putting on the market because he's so purposeful in terms of why he's on your roster and what he can contribute to your roster that you're never going to get that on the market. And there's very few guys like that. You know, Eckler could be like that. Saquon could be like that. Now, maybe not this year, but you never know going forward who that next player is going to be. So I think that's a big strategy piece here that has not changed from last year. It is that at all costs, I want to understand the ranges of where I'm holding running backs. If I can get an anchor, fine. If I can't, I want to have a couple in this quote unquote flat tier, the flat tier that holds value. So let's call it RB6 to RB30-ish. Let's just widen the scope for purposes of this discussion. I want to have a couple in that range. I don't want to have so many in that range that it kills me getting dirt cheap production from the players that are lower. So I'll just say, even if I don't have an anchor running back, I really want to probably limit myself to two players in this range, two players between RB six and RB 30. I only want a couple. Maybe if you want to raise that up a little bit and make it RB six to RB 25, doesn't matter. But the idea is, I never want to carry more than probably two players in this range. Now, that's a dynamic statement as well, right? Because that can change overnight. Alvin Kamara wasn't in that range before the season. As soon as he came back, he was right into that range. Regardless of his age, he had a dynasty market. Same with Joe Mixon. Same with James Conner. You know, those guys were on the fringe of that range, but as soon as they entered the year and it was like, yep, those guys are going to get all the work like everyone thought they might in the past. There isn't anybody else in their backfield that's even halfway to be a threat. Boom, they're right back into that range where, sure, there are RB 25 in Dynasty. There are RB 23 in Dynasty. But someone would want them for that reason. And that's immediately where, the bells and whistles go off in your head and you go, okay, I can probably sell these guys. But the reality is those guys are probably not much different than the random fill-in running back that has no opportunity to start the season. But when they get opportunity and you get the opportunity to use them because you're rostering enough of them on the back of your roster, the actual impact difference between those guys and guys like Mixon and Connor is very, very minimal. Especially if we're talking about a start 11 that has a 1.75 premium like this, the the impact is very minimal in terms of how much those guys are helping you above the replacement value at the running back position. So that's the first rule. Really? I don't want to have more than two guys in that range at any point. Meaning if you go back to your rosters and you look at your running backs and you say, I have a ton more running backs that I could sell than I probably can use. That's when you want to heavily consider even if you are a contender. And I think this is important for teams as we wrap up this season, even if you are a contender, if you have four or five guys in this range and a couple of them have jumped into this range without you really knowing they were going to get there. So maybe a guy like Devin Singletary, maybe somebody like Jalen Warren, you didn't have them in this range to start the year. But they've moved there, you're able to use them on a weekly basis, you feel just as comfortable about those guys than some of the names that we pegged in this range before the year. But now you have an excess of them. And these are the players where you go, you know what, someone like Singletary, I probably shouldn't sell him to my competitor, but my competitor is willing to give me two-thirds for him, and he's my fifth running back in this range. And for me, that's a move that even as a contending team, I'm saying, you know what? I'm going to consider taking it because he's probably in that dead zone. He's probably never getting out of it. He has questionable ranges of outcomes. As soon as this season ends, that's a player I'm willing to move. And it's not because he's not good. It's not because he's not usable. There's other teams where I'm looking at him and he's only my number two or number three running back in that range. So the same move may not be as urgent for me to make on those teams. So it's not about the player. It is strictly about how I'm building my team. I always want to be looking at my running backs and saying, how many do I need in this range? And for me, the answer is I really only want two in this range at all times. Now, that's going to be a dynamic thing. You're not always going to be able to just trade the one you want to trade as soon as they jump into this range. But keeping in mind, if we're talking optimal construction, you really always want to be operating in this. If I can move a running back for some good liquidation value, probably not a first, very few running backs can you move for a first. But if I can move a running back for a second, second and a third, two thirds, if I can get some liquidity in this range, it obviously helps me add a free roster spot by opening a spot up from trading the player away. And I add a free running back or I add something off of waivers. Same with the tight ends, right? If you can get out on one of those extra tight ends, you get a free roster spot. Same thing at running back. So that's where we're going to start, that dead zone. I really only want to roster a couple in there. So let's talk about any running back on a 53. How has that changed? So I think one of the bigger changes to the roster construction series, and I'll talk more about this at the quarterback position, is being a little more stringent on the situations where I carry the any running back on a 53. and sometimes this is intuitive sometimes it takes a little bit of time into the season to figure out which teams you want which teams you don't care for uh, think about the teams where you say if there's ever a running back on this team that I can forecast to get any opportunity even if that's five to eight touches a game I want that player think of miami think of Baltimore Think of San Francisco. Think of some of these running games where you go, I'm willing to carry damn near four or five deep on that team, waiting for the one week where the guy I have could be the number two in the pecking order, and they might get nine touches. But in those offenses, that could act as one of those placeholders on a weekly basis from a spot start standpoint. So think about that. You know the teams. And we don't always know the teams going in. Now, a lot of the teams repeat year after year. Typically, it's teams that run a lot of plays. Typically, it's teams that have quarterbacks that check down. Typically, it's teams that have good offensive lines where you know they will give their opportunities to running backs in the red zone. Like how whatever narrative you want to paint, you know the situations where you go, Yeah, I'm willing to roster any running back on that team. On the contrary you know some teams, and this usually is the part that erodes as the season goes on, after probably a month or six weeks, you start to see there are some teams that are just a train wreck. They may have a lot of running backs on a 53. Look at the Giants this year. The Giants outside of Saquon Barkley have had five different running backs that had been any running back on a 53. So if you employed that strategy, you would say, well, hey, I can roster all these Giants. And then you got some Matt Breida, and you got some Eric Gray, and you got some Gary Brightwell, and then you got some of the other guys that they've brought in. You know, they had James Robinson, they had Dion Jackson, like they've brought in quite a few guys that technically were on the 53 man roster. But nothing about their usage and nothing about the way the team is right now tells you you even want any of the backups. So even though you can get access to any running back on a 53 on the Giants, you could also argue maybe other than Eric Gray, because he's young, there isn't another running back on the Giants I need to carry. So I've gone through and said, okay, do I really need to carry Matt Breida? What is the best case scenario? And the best case scenario is it's probably never something that I would ever put in my lineup. Because again, you have to make these decisions on the fly. You know, when you have a weekly spot start or weekly opportunity, and a lot of times these opportunities come in very short spurts, meaning, hey there's one week during the year where Matt Breed is viable, it might be week eight. I need to be able to make a decision on him quickly. Do I flip him? Do I start him? If the answer is I can't flip him and I won't start him, why do I have him? And I think that's something that I need to be a little better at forecasting because there's been quite a few opportunities this year where I've had a guy rostered, their name pops up. I probably can't flip them. I've tried. You know, a lot of times I'll go through and try to f- try to flip the Amari Di Mercado's and Keontae Ingram's. Those were two examples of players on the Cardinals that had standalone opportunity this year. And nobody really bought in and nobody was really that interested. And they were probably correct. Di Mercado had one good game, but it was the game after everybody bought into him being a starter. So it felt like after that, that really wasn't a viable any running back on a 53 anymore. So seeing that, seeing examples such as the Giants, there are quite a few situations where technically you're rostering any running back on a 53. And the premise of the hashtag is literally exactly what it is. Any running back that's on a roster could contribute. But part of this construction series is being a little more dialed in. So what I'm going to be doing going forward is... In the offseason, I'm probably going to cast a wide net still, not as wide as I did last year, meaning last offseason, one thing that I was doing is I was stashing guys like Kenyon Drake, Melvin Gordon, Daryl Williams, Damian Williams. I was stashing a lot of these guys that were NFL free agents. Now, the difference between those guys and Kareem Hunt and Leonard Fournette is What? and we'll talk about the market, but it's the market. There's a reason that when Kareem Hunt signed with the Browns, you probably could have flipped him for a third because his name's Kareem Hunt. Now, he may not be any better than Damian Williams. He probably is, but he may not be. Yet someone would buy him or Leonard Fournette versus those other guys, so keep that in mind. So what I'm probably not going to do is use as many roster spots in the offseason on the players that are that low. I mean, we're talking about, I was rostering running backs that they were just getting workouts in training camps. And rosters are already expanded in training camp to include every UDFA running back, to include literally any veteran that had signed and went into camp. And I'm still rostering NFL free agents. And then you think about how thin of a line it is once the season starts, A, they have to make the team, but B, they probably have to be in one of those situations of maybe 15 to 20 teams where you say, I'm willing to roster every running back. Because a dozen of them are going to end up just like the Giants, where you go, man, that guy's on the 53, but I don't really want anybody on that 53 because I'm never going to know when to play him. Even at running back, it's going to be very hard to predict when I'm actually going to feel confident enough to start that player. So in the end, my end goal at running back is probably going to end up being, I'm going to carry less, any running backs on a 53. I've been hinting at that for the last 10 minutes, but I don't need to carry as many. And right now I'm looking across my portfolio. I'm rostering about a third of my roster spots are running backs. And last year, if you remember that number was closer to 40 to 50%. So it's not a massive drop. It's still a third of my roster. So let's call it 10 spots being running backs. But I'm a little more stringent as to which ones I'm willing to carry and which roster spots I'm willing to use on running backs, especially in the offseason. So I'm going to be a little more fluid. I'm willing to carry less in the offseason. So let's call it eight to 10. I really only want to have two, maybe three that have any sort of value. And when I say value, meaning I could go trade them at any point for value, not they're getting a spot start this week. They're worth a third, not they're getting opportunity. They're worth a fourth. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about at any point. So in June, you could probably sell James Conner for something. may not be what you want, but you could sell him. It's going to be difficult to sell the third string running back on Miami at that point, even if it's a team where you say, I want to carry that guy going to be very hard to sell Jeff Wilson if he's back with Miami next year and they have the same backfield as they do. That's unlikely, but if they do, he's not going to be a guy where you're going to go, yeah, I can easily go get a third. I mean, that's just the nature of the running back market. So this number, instead of being damn near like 12 to 15, like last year, it's probably going to be more in the eight to 10 range in terms of who I'm going to carry. Now that doesn't mean because you're carrying less, you need to worry as much who the names are. Of my 8 to 10 running backs that I carry, I don't need them to be better. The strategy has gotten to a point where it will work regardless. And that number can go up as the season goes on, or it can go down, depending on who you hit on. But the point is, I don't think you need to cast as wide of a net, because the second part that we'll hit on now is the running back market. And why does this work and why will it actually work better? Because you may think, well, everybody's now valuing running backs this way. Everybody's rostering pretty much any running back that's living or breathing in my league. So it's harder because even though I'm only thinking about rostering 8 to 10, other teams are now rostering 8 to 10 or 12, which makes it harder to get those free ones off waivers when something pops. But here's the benefit. If more people start adopting this strategy, You combine that with a running back market right now, where other than just looking right now at keep trade cut, there are nine running backs that are valued inside the top 50 players. A couple of those are Ken Walker and Saquon Barkley. And honestly, they have those with a higher value than a 2024 late first. I don't agree with that. I don't think you can probably get a late first for those guys. Maybe for Ken Walker, not sure about Saquon Barkley. But the point is the running backs as a whole are devalued. And then you add to the fact that after that, you have a ton more running backs that are valued in the mid second to early third range, which tells me they are available if you need them. So because the market has dropped as a whole, probably 20, 30% in the last year or two, more people are aligning the running backs on their team with What can I get them to produce for me versus what can I sell them for? Which means they would be motivated sellers, especially if they're roster constructing in a similar way that I'm talking about on this show. I'm willing to sell. What did I say at the beginning? I really only want to have two or three running backs on my roster that have any solid value. Meaning if you ever came to me and you said, hey, I acknowledge that That running back you're sitting on, Isaiah Pacheco, has value. Yep, I agree. He has value from the beginning of the season to the end. Someone says, I'm willing to give you two seconds for him. You're going to think long and hard whether you're going to take that or not if you're constructing the way that I'm talking about. You may say, hey, I think he's worth more than a second. Okay, but now you're offering me two seconds. And my mind immediately goes to, well, he's my third running back in that range. Maybe I also have Kyron Williams and I also have Derrick Henry. I'm sitting there thinking about, okay, I'm okay actually selling Isaiah Pacheco for the two seconds. Because I have three in that range that I can use. And so you're actually a more motivated seller now because of this strategy. So the more people that employ this, it will actually allow you, if you ever find yourself in a pinch, hey, I need to buy a running back or hey, I want to go buy a running back. And I'm not even advocating to buy one. But if you did, this type of strategy should actually make it easier for you to buy them. And what are you going to try to buy them with? I don't know, a second. Which is the reason why you sell Isaiah Pacheco for two seconds if someone makes the offer, regardless of if you're using him or not. Regardless of if you say, well, if I sell Pacheco, I now have to start Keaton Mitchell. You go, man, I'd rather have Pacheco. But you're getting two seconds. As soon as you just admit you're just going to plug another running back into that spot, take the picks. Because the picks down the road are going to allow you to give more thought as to when I want to spend those and what I want to spend them on. So the more people that play this way, I think you're going to create a more active running back market, especially if your league is already active as this strategy gets adopted on more of a mainstream level, more people are going to be willing to move running backs in that range. Now you're going to have to pay the tax. If I'm a contender and you're a contender and there's three other contenders and two of us are looking for a running back and you're buying from the other three. Sure. You're going to have to pay a tax. That's why someone may offer you two seconds for Pacheco, but the smart move is almost always going to be take the picks Especially if it's one of those markets where, hey, when I need a running back there or when I need a couple extra picks, I'm going to now have them stashed. And I think that's really, really the crux of this as to why I want to lean into this strategy. Not because I think it's the dominant strategy based on the war, which I already talked about, but it also is the dominant strategy leaning into what the market and what the market behavior looks like right now. Just because it is such a soft running back market to where, There is a supply out there that is attainable more so than ever, but most people just don't want to pay the price and that's okay. I don't want to pay the price either until I can say, you know what? It's week 12. I'm just going to go out and pay two seconds to get Jalen Warren because I want to ride him out the rest of the year. And I'm not advocating that move, but if you did, that's the position where you probably could go do it other positions where if you said, Hey, you know, I want to go buy a quarterback, you know, I want to go buy Dak Prescott for the rest of the year. Like you're probably going to have to pay to a point where you immediately say, where's a cheaper option that can give me less, but at a much cheaper cost. Whereas running backs, I think you're much more likely to say, I'm just going to take the plunge when I know I have a need. So we've reset from, 40 to 50 percent of my roster spots and check out last year's running back our roster construction series if you want to kind of have a reference point to more like eight to ten this year so for purposes of this let's call it nine that's right in the middle of the range that's right at 30 percent of your roster spots nine running backs and partially i want to only have two or three that truly have dynamic value that i could sell at any point the other six to seven, are going to be any running back body in the off season, any running back body that can make a depth chart, any running back body that could have opportunity. And you can cycle those in and out. Now you can go a little bit above the nine or 10, but the ideal is probably to get back to that range and start dialing them in. And then also trading them whenever they have value, like I was talking about a little bit earlier. So what does this mean for the rookie draft? Because I think it's fair to say that the running back position as a whole, is going to continue to stay flat. You're not going to see a lot of high end running backs that get you uh, into the conversation with other elite players. You're not taking your Brees Hall and going and having a discussion to buy Justin Jefferson or buy Jalen Hurts. Like he's probably just not getting you into that range. So you have to be kind of comfortable with when I have a high end running back asset, they better be producing. You know, I don't have time to hold these guys and wait and wait and wait and then hope that they produce down the road, especially when they're holding value that I could sell for. So what does that mean for rookie drafts? How do I evaluate running backs for rookie drafts? Uh, so I think this class is going to make it pretty easy. We're not going to probably have that many high-end running backs that people are going to see as even top 24 options right away. Maybe we get two. Maybe we get three at most that could crack the top 24 in the beginning of the year. Just simply because it's a weak class, the name cache isn't that high you'll probably have one or two. I mean, you're going to have a Travion Henderson or Trey Benson or Donovan Edwards or Blake Corum or somebody like that. You know, insert whatever running back you want. Somebody is going to land in a spot, and they're going to get decent capital enough to where people go, yeah, that guy's going to be the starter, and they're going to push him up. They're going to push him up inside the top 30, inside the top 24. Now, whether that works out or not, that's a different story. But you also know if you're drafting a running back in a rookie draft – you're probably not drafting an asset that you're walking into saying, I'm going to be able to flip. You know That was a hit or miss strategy this year. You could have done it with A-Chain. You could have done it with Gibbs. Could have done it with Bijan to an extent. But if you took some of the other guys and they don't produce right away, their value is very, very volatile. Tajay Spears, Zach Charbonnet, Kendra Miller. Their, Their value is very, very dependent on their opportunity right away. If they don't have it, they're never going to fetch on the market what you spent. And when they get the opportunity, there's going to be a window where you have to make a decision. Roshan Johnson is starting this week. You need to make a decision whether you want to sell him. A lot of people don't have the discipline to do that. They go, finally, it's Zach Charbonnet season. And he puts up 10 points. And you probably had a window, especially if he gets another start or two. You're going to have a window where someone goes, I'll give you a second and a third. Or I'll give you a 24-second and a 26-second. And you're going to go, ah, man, but he could take over the backfield. You know, Walker's always been banged up. You start to tell yourself a story why you don't want to move him. In reality, Zach Charbonnet is probably just, I don't know, Isaiah Pacheco, right? They're probably almost in the exact same mold to where I don't care if i think one's going to last longer than the other. That's not even part of the analysis. So what does that mean for rookie drafts? What does that mean for rookie picks? So i think it means you really can just kind of relax and breathe when you're thinking about your running back construction. Do i want to take shots on next year's rookies? Yeah, i want to have a couple shares. Am i going to be as stringent and i admitted this as much this past off season was i probably still even though i fixed this from 2022 to 2023, I still probably made too many third and fourth round picks and even second round picks at running backs. I drafted way too much Roshan Johnson, way too much Chase Brown, way too much Kendra Miller. And I'm speaking of guys that really haven't helped you, but even if they have, the idea was I probably didn't need to spend as many picks on those guys as I did. And we get paralyzed. You're in a lot of leagues. You have a lot of picks. You go, I'll just take a shot on this guy. And as soon as you're on the clock, you look at the running backs available and you're like, Roshan, man, listen to a podcast last week and they were saying he could take over the backfield. So our minds get swayed. They talk us into going, you know what? I think it could happen. I'm going to draft him at the 207. And then immediately you're going, okay, what do I do with him? And, of course, people are going to preach, well, just hold and wait, wait till he gets that opportunity. But you literally just spent a mid-second on a running back. And I already talked about how, at best, running backs that in that range hit guys like Jalen Warren, guys like Isaiah Pacheco. They might be worth two seconds. You might be able to sell them for two seconds. Now, you can get production from them, too. You can get production for Roshan. But if you think about that, do you really want to speculate on spending that price for running backs. I mean, certainly take a couple shots, get a a couple shares of each rookie. That's fine. But I really want to be selective with what I use my second and third round picks on. Fourth round picks, I'm okay because you're just filling bodies at that point. But I really want to be selective as to how I use those picks. I really want to run through the analysis. And we talked about this on Destination Show last week. I really, really want to run through the analysis of Which players can I flip if there's good news? That's almost going to be my tiebreaker for any pick outside of the top 12 to 15 players is who has the quickest path from a narrative perspective for me to be able to liquidate after I get information. Even if I spend a dollar on a player in May and then in August I get to see three months of how they're used in minicamp, how they're used in OTAs, how they're being used in training camp, read all of the reports on the player. And in August, I can still flip them for a dollar if I want. That's the type of player I want to invest in. What I don't want to invest in is, okay, I can buy this player for a dollar. And then everyone just forgets about him. Even if he doesn't do anything wrong, everyone just totally forgets about the profile, forgets about the player. And then come August, if he's not doing anything special, I can only get 75 cents. And picture players in your mind of how that's happened, because that is a real thing. So, literally, if I can do an evaluation outside of the top, say, 15 picks of who has the name cache and who would need to do the least for me to be able to have a flexible asset, because as soon as I draft the 207 and turn that into a player, as soon as I take the 303 and turn that into a player, especially a running back, I've lost value. Literally, I've lost value. I've now turned flexible currency into a tangible item. It's no different than spending cash on an appliance. You go out, you buy a toaster. You spend $30 on a toaster. That's great. You have a toaster. Maybe you even got it on sale. It was worth $40. You got it for $30, but you don't have $30. You now have a toaster. And the only way you recoup that is. Do you get to use the toaster enough to where it satisfies what you paid for it? Or is someone else willing to buy that toaster from you? And if nobody you know or nobody you find will buy a toaster for more than 20 from you, what do you actually have? You don't have a toaster that's worth 30. And that's really how I'm going to look at the running back position when it comes to the draft. I need to do an analysis, and I, I really don't have a place other than using something like Keep Trade Cut to track players value gains or value losses, What, where their trend lines are heading. I don't really have a better way to look at what players are moving up. What players are, I know, have that part of their profile that everybody likes. And then I know if I have a couple of those, there's going to be a better window for me to sell than if it's a player that nobody really cared about. And that's how I'm going to look at running backs. So it's not that I don't want to draft them. But I want to keep in mind my roster construction principles where I really only want to be rostering the 8 to 10. I don't want to invest too much capital into them when I'm already holding them, meaning if I have three of those running backs that have value. The last thing I want to go do, unless I'm willing to sell one of those guys, is go draft another running back in the second round. And I'm still going to basically say, can I kick my picks to the future? Can I move out of the ranges where other people want to take their running backs? Can I move out of those ranges for extra capital, but really just to be able to defer my decision to a later time and not have to spend the picks on running backs? So that's how things have changed. Any running back on a 53 still exists. I'm just going to be a little more cognizant with who they are and lower the numbers. So after two tight ends, we're now at nine running backs is the final decision between eight to 10 is optimal, but I'm going to settle with nine. So we have 19 roster spots remaining to allocate towards wide receivers and to quarterbacks. And then the final point on the running back market is, and give me your thoughts, and maybe this will be a topic for Dynasty Portfolio Weekly. Where do we think this is going to head? Do we think this is a dam that is going to eventually break? Are we going to see the return of the high-end running back value? Meaning, are we going to finally get to a point where everybody starts depressing running backs to where the high-end ones, and we're starting to already see it. I mean, you can see it by the fact that Christian McCaffrey is still valued as RB2 in Dynasty. When the production is there, and when it's pretty safe to say that there's going to be some sort of floor, even if there's an injury, people are kind of willing to pay up for those guys. So I think the community is already starting to adjust to where it's, haves or have nots. And the market's starting to reflect that. Like you used to be able to go from RB eight to RB three for a comfortable price six months ago. Now you try to add Ken Walker to get Christian McCaffrey, especially during the season. Like it's not even a conversation. And I think that's something that's changed. So I think the market is starting to reflect the haves and have nots right now. Um, as it should be. That's what the war says. The war says really after the top three or four running backs in a given year, it's going to drop off into the dead zone. So how do you want to play it? So I do think the changes this year, it'll be very interesting to see how this market continues to fall and fall and fall. We can't have a devalued running back market forever because there's going to be people that start saying, you know what? I'm going to zag now because everybody in my league is obsessed with wide receivers. Everybody in my league is fading running backs. Everybody in my league is scared to death of holding the bag on the next Jonathan Taylor that drops off like a rock on the next, this player or that player that loses their job. Like everybody's scared to death. So they just say, get out, get out, get out. And what they're willing to accept sometimes can be comical. If you look at, Hey, I'm trying to get out on a running back because I'm scared of their role. And then you end up trading that running back who has it in their range of outcomes to hit that top five war better. And you traded them for Jerry Judy in a second. A deal like that, where you're like, man, I felt like I was getting out because I was getting a solid young receiver, right? I want to turn my running backs into receiver value. And then I get out and it's a flat line receiver that also contributes nothing other than a placeholder and then a pick. So think about that. I'm curious what everybody's thoughts are on. If the running backs will eventually we will hit a point where it's gone too far and then it rebounds quickly to go to the other side. And maybe we're already seeing it. Maybe we're not, but I'm curious what everybody's thoughts are on that. So with that, that wraps up part two of the roster construction series, talking about running backs. Any running back out of 53 is still viable, uh, but the numbers are a little bit less. and I'm going to be a little more stringent on which ones I want to roster within that scope. Uh, we'll see what comes next week. It'll be obviously either quarterbacks or wide receivers. Uh, check out everything at DestinationDevi at DestinationDevy.com. Sign up for all the tools. You can get access to the Discord as well. And then don't forget, Trades in 5 streams live Tuesday night, 8.30 p.m. Eastern time on the YouTube channel. Be there. Check it out. Subscribe to the channel. Would love to see you there at the live stream. We have a lot of people that show up every single week, but hoping to get some new faces coming from the Destination Debbie side as well. And then final reminder, the AMA Wednesday night, if you want to hear more 2020 rookie class talk, Gump and Jordan Backus, both will be there talking the 2024 rookie class on the AMA Wednesday night, November 29th, 9 p.m. Eastern, live on the DD stages in the Discord. So if you're not signed up, sign up now to get access and you can even participate and ask questions there. It'll probably be an hour, hour and a half long just talking 2024 class. So we'll hash through probably some construction stuff, uh, but also just talk the entire class. So it's going to be an open discussion. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, With that, I will go ahead and sign off for the week. Good luck, everybody that still has matchups up in the air in week 12. And until next week, I will go ahead and sign off. Beat you.